Welcome back to the Bags and Boards podcast number 76. Oh, do we have a show to do today. We're going to be answering a whole lot of questions. This guy, Golden Age Guru and I, bought a giant collection, possibly the biggest collection of our lifetimes. And this is the tell-all. We're getting into the specifics today, Jeff. It's been asked about through every platform that we're on. What'd you pay for it? What's it worth? We're going to expose it all in this episode. Hit the like, slap the subscribe. If you want to listen to us, we're available on SoundCloud, Spotify. I heard Stitcher is going under, but you can also just download the damn iTunes app. Give us a rating over on iTunes as well. That goes a long way. We do this podcast two, three times a month, and we're heading to San Diego Comic-Con next week, the largest comic book convention in the world. Oh, man. My favorite convention, to be honest. What's your, like, what are you most excited about? It's the same thing every time. It's the city because it embraces the convention to the way that it does. So it makes your whole experience in that area that much more enjoyable because you're literally feeling embraced by not only the city, um, but all the attendees as well. The comic fam, you know? Oh, yeah. It's a convention that we've done many times together. And it's one of those things like no matter how late we stay up, we wake up early and this guy's already woken up and you're ready to go. You're like, I got to get to that convention as soon as they let anybody in there because you're ready to hunt. I mean, I absolutely am always. Every time you got to get in there as early as, as, early as possible because there's always opportunity. But the problem is it's so competitive. It's such a competitive environment. Our, our hobbies are already so competitive. So you're always trying to, to seek out something that maybe somebody missed and didn't find yet. Um, so that's always my goal. Plus, I'm setting up there this time. So I'll be set up at Silver Age Comics. Um, I can't remember what booth number. Follow me on Instagram, Golden Age Guru. Uh, I'll post it as soon as I find out what it is. And um, But yeah, man, you got to get there early. So I'm going to be going down there. You know, we're going to be doing whatnot streams. Gem Mint's coming down, which is going to be cool. Davis Ryder's going to be there. Eris Quinones from Variant Comics is going to be there. Um, we're all doing different streams. Whatnot Hero House is going to be lit. And I'm dropping our first official ash can for Crashdown. I want to remind everybody, Crashdown has been delayed till October. It will be featured in previews again. So if you missed out on ordering it, rest assured, you can still get a chance to support the comic book Fire Guy and I wrote, as well as Ben Templesmith, Living Horror Legend, all over the interiors. I am going to be releasing a Ariel Diaz Virgin variant while I'm there. And I'm hoping we get some support from the community trying to hype crash down. And this delay wasn't because of anything bad. In fact, it was something really good. Whatnot likes it so much that they've expanded the series. And we're talking like volume two next year. Oh, that's super exciting, man. Super exciting. Plus, I love Ariel Diaz's work, by the way. So I'm excited to see what she spits out because every time I see it, um, it's not how I would have envisioned a, a cover. She just imagines some type of uh, magical moment to place on a cover. So, Well, the community's seeing it on screen right now. Why don't you react to it? Because no oh. one else has seen this. Oh. So what you're looking at is an Ariel Diaz cover with our main character, Allison Taylor. Yeah, I mean, look, you clearly see this gorgeous female character in what seems to be a great suit design concept, and obviously tentacles, all right? The story's got tentacles, guys, and so um, you can just tell they're encroaching on her, the red, the green, uh, I love it. I see a sci-fi feel. I see a horror vibe. That's what we're going for, dude. All right. Well, so there's a lot of big news in the comic industry. I would say one of the biggest things that took place this past week and over the last few months has been hype on a 
couple of books in particular, and I want you to guess why you would think these books would be trending as well as being considered so hot, especially considering both copies are down in the market from their heights, like a lot of books during this adjustment period that we're in. The two books are New Man's 98 and Frank Miller, Wolverine number one. Well, I mean, I'm assuming those two books are hot because of what is the greatest off-screen off-screen friendship there is in comic books. Ryan Reynolds, or just in, in uh, cinema at all, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. I mean, that's why we love those two books is because of the this is their off-screen friendships. Is that what it is? It's just like a special moment with these actors? It is, and we, that's why we embrace those books. No other reason. All right, well, we know that Deadpool is going to be going up against Wolverine, being reprised by Hugh Jackman. Super stoked about that. But there's some other news that I'm curious if you've been caught up on. Ben Affleck has been spotted on the set, likely reprising his role as Daredevil, Matt Murdock, hearing rumors about Jennifer Gardner reprising her role as Elektra. I'm hypothesizing that we're getting a Deadpool versus the, dare I say, Marvel or Fox universe. God, I don't even know what to assume for any of that other than I don't need to see Daredevil by Ben Affleck. I do not need to see Jennifer Garner Electra. That but what more... if Deadpool kills them? It's kind then... of like you don't need to see it, but so we're just going to oh, okay. scrub it from existence. Okay, so. Now that you've prefaced that, that would probably be the only reason I would like to see them on that <laughs> screen, right? To just kind of wipe that away from existence by taking them out because it wasn't – I mean, we can all agree. I, 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 excuse me. I don't want to say we can all agree, but for me – We can all agree. Okay. We can all agree. So – and I only say that mostly because there's better Daredevil and Elektra that I'd like to move forward with. Well, in this last week, internet broke. We got to see – Hugh Jackman, not just as Wolverine, not just next to Deadpool, but he's in his classic yellow costume. Now, I don't care if it's like ketchup and mustard looking. I don't care if their suits are very similar in their design, like Deadpool to Wolverine. The fact that we're getting a comic accurate representation of Logan has me so psyched. This is what we've wanted for so long. Yeah, I just, you know, the only reason I need to see Wolverine with Deadpool is because I like to think that Wolverine will somehow open up into some mutants. And that's what I want to see, more spoilers potentially into X-Men. And that's why I'm excited to see them. I'm, I mean, I'm, always, I'm always happy to see Hugh Jackman's Wolverine back for now. I do think there has to be some replacement at some point, as hard as that is to, to really um, do and have that character be replaced. But it's got to happen at some point. But I want to see more into X-Men. Well, on that X-Men point, no confirmation yet, we're hearing rumors that we may see a reprisal of the former Fox mutants like Holly Berry, uh, Professor Xavier, who we did see in Doctor Strange. So who knows? But I want to know what the community thinks in the comment section below. Are you as hyped as people are getting? Because it clearly is a very mainstream, foundation-shaking type of statement to make that we're going to get this version of Wolverine likely being the last time that Hugh Jackman will ever reprise the role. Well, and if they really want to make this completely pop, a Wolverine-Hulk introduction or a verse in some fashion, some something where they kind of have tempers fly or something is said, just to tease the idea that there's maybe tension between the two, I think that would be next level exciting for fans. Let me know what you think in the comment section below about this picture, about the video that has surfaced, the fighting, super exciting stuff. 
almost as exciting as it was acquiring this collection. And at certain points of this 300 plus thousand unit collection, I wouldn't even say it was exciting. I would say that it was almost sickening, like pits in your stomach, anxiety driven, mental anguish. We were going crazy, Jeff. We almost didn't get this collection. This is how you lose a giant. We'll get to the pricing, but over million dollar collection. Yeah, God. So that that's a long, that's a long journey to get to that. So let's let me get let me break this down a little bit. Maybe we just start. Give him a little bit of a right, a get, prelude here. We've already talked about this on the show, but yeah. to any new listeners, you know, you got hit up by your dentist. Hey, there's somebody who's got a collection they inherited. I passed them your number. We were the first ones to see it. We'll get into that a little bit more today, but after that initial communication, the offers were initially made. That's when the chaos began. Yeah. So for me to get from hearing first about this collection to actually finally seeing it and stressing out about getting there first, because that's the thing. I believe some people think differently that you want to be the first to look at a collection. Okay. Some people want to be the last person, but you don't know who the last person is. So you should, I think, always try to be at least the first. Sure. Okay. And make that first great impression. All right, and hopefully the first is the last. That I think should be your goal. All right, there's like I said, there's a lot of competition out there. So when it, I would say it's at least three plus weeks from me getting my initial email to making a phone call to finally being able to schedule these people to look at this collection. All right, and then and then I had you come as well so we can take a look at it together because from what I understood there was an alleged amount. Of this book, which of this collection, okay, which started off at like maybe a hundred thousand, but by the time we got to see it, they had calculated at closer to three hundred fifty thousand books. We're gonna look at that's a lot of books. You cannot look at three hundred fifty thousand books. You can't price them right, and so they've spent this entire time trying to organize it for us as best as possible, which is nice for people to do, okay, if plausible. But that did take extra time. It was astounding, and. There were parts of this process that I do want to share, and we'll get to it, about what we did that day, how we made a first good impression. I actually think that we did them a huge solid. They were very grateful. They trusted us immediately. You know, you're letting people into your, your home that they inherited. And, you know, at first it was like they were there. They wanted to watch everything they, that we did, right? Because mm-hmm. we got to prove ourselves. But we came prepared. We proved ourselves. And it got to the point where they were, like, going outside while we were just— doing what we were there to do. And after we made the initial offer, we were waiting anxiously. What was going to happen? And we had a really good feeling that we were going to get it, but we were also concerned because were there going to be more people that were going to get involved? And then what would that look like in regards to the process over time? So I remember you letting me know that it wasn't looking good because you hadn't gotten updates yet. We're jumping around a little bit here on how The story is going to go, but this is what's going on. So if we're going to go down this path of telling it this way, this is what I'm going to say. The whole process was long because not after, right after we made our offer, um, they did mention they want to get a second opinion, which is totally understandable. And it was recommended to them by their real estate agent who happened to know another comic person. Okay. So that made things a little bit more difficult, right? Because now their real estate agent is giving them advice. So it's somebody now meddling in the deal that you had already because of circumstance, all right? 
So that's the thing. You never know what's going to happen when time goes on. The thing that started to happen was you started to lose your freaking mind. I can at least say that much. At some point, after being involved in it, okay, because it went from getting a second opinion to now there's three opinions. And this three opinions each are now involved in a bidding war, okay? And that was interesting because every time I was always the one most aggressive. Like after seeing this collection, I was like, I'm winning it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I am getting this collection, all right? I'm going for it like 100%. And that's just because there was a lot of Golden Age stuff there and Silver Age and whatever else was there was extra stuff and I'll, I'll make it work, all right? But I knew I was all in on this collection. But I had to, I had to trust the process. That was the phrasing they loved to use, trust the process. But after, I swear to God, 10 weeks, this whole process, I mean, I was losing my mind a little bit like, is there really two, three people I'm bidding against? Dude, can I tell them the whole private eye thing? Oh, man. Uh, can I, yeah. Okay, I mean, so, so I get, this is, this is a real story. I know Jeff's losing his mind. Every time I'm hanging out with them, we do stuff like this. We're doing the podcast. We're doing videos. I'm tucking them on the phone. And there'll be times that you just like drift off or your phone rings and you're like, you're always alert, but you're like really alert. You're like, who, who is it? And you're like, oh, okay. It's this person, whatever. But you're waiting for any updates on this collection for weeks. And there was a point that you called me and you're like, dude, I just need to talk to you real quick. And you said, yo, I just need you to tell me. This is a true story, <laughs> comic fam. I need you to just tell me, is this crazy? I'm not sure if there's other people bidding on this or if they're lying. And I really want to know if there are people who it is. Because, like, you got to imagine, this is an expensive collection. It's getting, up, it's going to get up there in price if we don't know any information. We also don't know how to, like, talk to them. And I want to get into that whole thing. Um, but on top of all of those things, what if you have, like, a heritage involved? You know, really deep pockets. Is this kind of, like, even worth fighting for? Like, these are all questions you're starting to think about. And you said... Should I hire a private eye to see if we can spy to find out who shows up to view this collection? And then you took a breath and then you were like, I know that sounds crazy, but but is it crazy? I just got to do something, man. I just got to do something because you knew that it was nuts, but you had to hear me tell you. You probably don't want to do that, Jeff. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I was like, I, I was losing it because. <sighs> It's like I said, I was involved longer than any of the other people who got involved, right? And then I'm always the highest bidder. And so it would be like someone makes a bid and then everyone has an opportunity to outbid that person. And then if that person outbid you, then everyone had a person to raise it again. So this was a long process, literally like 10 weeks I've been dealing with this while everyone else is dealing for like three to four weeks maybe. So there's two ways that this could have gone down. The ideal way is we go in there, we make a great offer, we take care of business, and maybe they facilitate a second offer, a third offer, and then they kind of stand back and go, hey, we're going to go with the people that we want to go with. The other route is a bidding war. Trust the process, meaning let's see how much we can squeeze out of the top bidder. Like, squeeze it dry. Yes and no. And I'll say this why. Now, I do respect the people who were selling this collection because they were just doing their due diligence. They wanted to be fair. They were extremely nice people, okay? And they wanted to, they didn't know what they had. So for them, it made sense to have other people bid on it, which totally I get. Um, 
I came in and I knew, and I think I told you this too, like there's no way we're getting this. No matter what we say number-wise, there's no way we're getting this. Yeah, you said that, but then at the same time, for every time you said that, you said two other times, but what if we can get it? We got to try to get it. Yes. Like you were really, really right. hungry, but you're also like, I think probably telling yourself that you need to be chill because it's not going to probably happen today. It's not, right. And you and I were talking, we were like, okay, well, maybe I'll say this number and then you come in and be like, well, if it helps seal the deal to help my buddy get this collection, I'll throw an extra whatever at it just to I, see if that would help get in motion. But you didn't get a reaction. So it was just like, okay, so come with a semi-decent number right now, all right, and let's just start this process. And that number I came with was $50,000 more than the other people who offered it, all right? And I thought I was in a great place, but no. That left them the opportunity to use that and leverage it against me and see if anybody else would want to beat that number. For months. For Yes, for another eight weeks probably after that. So it's like it's a little frustrating because that kind of put me in a situation like, oh, no, now we're in a bidding war. The bidding is my own number. And it just kept going. But I get it. Now, the thing that threw me for a loop was talking to friends. And that's kind of where you got to be careful, okay? Like, you don't want to talk too much. Because if you talk too much, especially for a local collection, it gets out. The less people that know, the better. My concern was that a heritage would sneak in, a comic connect would sneak in. Because the second I know they're involved, it's done. I lost it. Because it's going to be more like, we'll take each book, we'll sell it for you, and we'll give you the money. Okay? And it's so... They can make the deal however they want to seal it because there was so much inventory. Mm -hmm. You know, they can say, hey, we won't give you any fees on this sensation one, but we'll give you, you know, um, a benefit somewhere else where we make money. And it's like they have more options because they're just a giant company. Right. And they don't have to really put any money out. No, they can lose money if they really want to. They could do it all for the marketing. Yeah, they'll just make their promise to them and then they'll just take it all away. And it doesn't mean that they're going to actually make more money in the back, like on the 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 bottom line as far as the these these sellers. It's a better option. Let's be realistic. With a huge collection, okay, you can either sell it privately to somebody and get it all done, or you send it to an auction house, and this large of a collection will take for them. I mean, they probably wouldn't even want all of it, to be honest, but they would take all of it, they'll parcel it out, and they'll it'll take two years plus. Right. So you either get all your money up front now. And then you take that money and you make it work for you and investments and all that. Or you wait, you get a small thing up front, and then you get money two years down the road in, in little chunks. Okay, So that's the positive and negatives uh, of doing an auction house with a huge collection okay, and or selling it privately. I did not think they were involved, but the longer it took to deal with this every day that it's out there information with two other people, the more I got concerned that someone else is going to step in. So you're listening to friends, and what were they telling you that was making the process possibly go in a way that wasn't to our benefit? Because keep in mind, Comic Fam, I'm an investor in this, and I helped throughout the entire process from the initial day to, like, removing all of the inventory and everything. But Jeff is the main investor in this, and you are the main point of contact. How did your friends affect your business dealing, and how did that— possibly hurt the deal and make it so that you almost didn't secure it? For this collection, and I've had a lot of experiences buying collections and losing collections, and generally it's because you're not aggressive enough. Um, but, like, I, I'm a good judge of character, and we've met these people. We spent all day with them, okay? So 
I had thought I had a good vibe, but as the time went on and I was talking to friends, they were like, no, no, you got to seal this. There, there's probably nobody else. They're just jacking you around. All right. And I'm talking to friends. I was like, no, I don't really feel that's the way what's happening. But as the number keeps getting bigger and you keep going, you're feeling like, am I just outbidding myself? Okay. And I'm just like, God, I don't know. And I started doubting it. All right. And they were, they were consistent. They were always like, trust the process. We're just doing this all the way through. And I was like, I want to trust them. And this little voice on my shoulder is like, don't trust them. Don't trust them. And I was like, no, but I trust them. Don't trust them. And I'm like, oh. And then so I got to this point where I was like trying to end it sooner. So I was being more aggressive. I was like, listen, I am your buyer. I promise you I will offer you more. I am your buyer. Okay. And I offered them no, uh, multiple numbers. Okay. And I just – and then they gave me a call. Okay. And um, at one point – and I was driving home. It was late. It wasn't that late, but it was dark already. I had my kids in the car. And they called me. And they're like, hey, Jeff, um, you are the highest number, um, but we're going to go with bitter B. And I was like, whoa, whoa, why, well, what's going on here? Like, why am I the highest? And now I'm, and I'm out. Da, 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 okay. And I pull the car over. Okay. Safely, of course. I get out. And for the next 30 minutes – 40 minutes, I'm having a conversation with them, trying to just understand. And they're expressing to me like, we just didn't like your manner of the way you're dealing and the way you're talking and how you're trying to rush us through this process and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I, I get it. And it hit me then. I was like, God damn it. I knew I should have just trusted myself and just gone through the process. And now I'm having to backpedal, explain that like I've been involved in this for 10 plus weeks. Okay. So you know, apologizing, excuse me if I'm being a little more aggressive, that wasn't my plan, but I do, I strongly believe that I am your your best buyer and I will, you know, give you the best number. And so as my kids are sitting in the car and I'm pacing for 30, 40 minutes here, he- Oh, they're both in the car this entire time? They're I think both I in the car have... this entire time. Thank <laughs> God they have cell phones because, you know, they tried to get me to stop and like, dad, what are we doing? Hey, da, da, I want to go. Dude, they're going to like, like grow up and be like, yeah, I just remember being with dad and- he just would pull the car over and start freaking out about comic books, like just pacing on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to be sincere and express to them. Like, I've been stuck in this for 10 plus weeks at least. So these people have been part of it like four weeks. So they're not as like emotionally drained, have gone through this long turmoil, this odyssey with them. Okay. And I just, like I said, I realized that I shouldn't listen to my friends. I should listen to my gut. Um, and then by the end of it, so... Um, it isn't the really the husband's family that's collecting it. It's the wife. So he's having the conversation with me, breaking the news to me. And um, I think he's the in-between because for her, it might have been a little too difficult to just be more biased or whatnot. But he told me he would call me back, okay? And he's like, all right, let me talk to her and see how she feels, okay? I, I, listen, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, and I understand but um, give me a moment. I'm going to go talk to her. So we hang up. All right. And at this point, I was like, okay, I'm going to drive somewhere else. Okay. I can't make it home, but I'm going to go somewhere where it's more open and then leave the kids in the car again. Oh, my God. I get another phone call, and I have to wait for this phone call. I don't want to miss it. I'm in an area where I might not get phone reception. Okay. So I stop literally right before that line. It's my neighborhood. I know exactly where I'm going to drop a call, and I don't want to miss it because – if I miss it, maybe they'll be like, oh, I'll leave a voicemail, and then I'll just drop them, and it'll be easy. But if I have to talk to them, maybe it's not as easy to say no. So I park somewhere safer, 
and I'm getting out of my car again. It's a beautiful night. All right, I'm walking around. Kids are stuck again for another 20 plus minutes in the car. All right, I get a phone call. And they give me um, their blessing again and say, okay, Jeff, we will let you back in, but please stop it with the pressure. Okay. And I said, absolutely. I'm going to trust the process and go through it. Okay. So this whole thing from getting the first phone call, you're out, to now you're back in, it's probably an hour. Okay. So I literally almost lost this collection because I didn't trust myself and I was listening to other people. Okay. And thank God I got back in because that next bid I made was the final winning bid. Hot damn, comic fam. All right, so um, we're going to keep talking about this collection, but I do want to show off something that you brought to me today from the collection. This is like something that I get having been an investor, and it is a uh, Batman Harley Quinn. This is the classic Alex Ross uh, Joker Harley cover, and I was surprised, but you actually took a what would end up being a 9-8 copy and sending it to get signed by Alex Ross and surprising me today. So I have a brand new uh, first Harley and ongoing DC continuity 9-8 signed by one of the best artists of all time, Alex Ross. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had... Uh, Thank you. You're welcome, bro. I mean, come on. Like you said, Alex Ross, a, a legend, a living legend, if you ask me right now, mm -hmm. okay? A classic cover. And we got we were fortunate enough to have uh, nine of these in the collection. Yes, this collection was filled with a lot of goodies. Uh, maybe you can actually grab one book that you brought from your short just to show off a little bit before we get into the next part of this story. Because I know there's that punch 12 in there. Yeah, I mean, you knew I brought some golden age this time around, of course. So we were going through stacks of books. I'm gonna take. We're gonna take a couple steps back now because we're kind of like it's like quite a, kind of a Quentin Tarantino style podcast here today. Um, the first time we got together with the collection, the majority of the time was actually spent on just the gold. And I want to get into how we assessed the collection, how we built the trust that was a little bit fractured, but then also built stronger for us to actually be able to come out winning the collection. So that shows you that all that work prior saved us long-term, in my opinion. So we're going through the Golden Age books, and there's a lot of them that are, like, organized and sorted, but there's a bunch that weren't. And going through a bunch of the, yeah, they're expensive books. Some of them are a little bit cheaper gold. There was a not-bagged-and-boarded Punch 12 just sitting on top. It made us both stop in our tracks and grin. Yeah, it was kind of a, a little bit of a shocker and a little bit of, of amazement um, watching them as they told us when we got there, do you guys want to see the stuff that was in the safe? And so the stuff in the safe was Golden Age. And I was like, absolutely. So we're upstairs, and this lady, who's probably in her mid-70s, is carrying up stacks of Golden Age books up and down, up and down, like just coming up with another – another rotation and filling this table. And I was like, when does this end? Cause it just keeps going. And as we're flipping through them, a lot of it's in order already. And you're seeing some runs of titles. Okay. And you're, you're not sure what's complete, what's not, but then there's more miscellaneous stuff. Okay. Like military comics, Blackhawks, um, dynamic comics, boy commandos, boy commandos, uh, punch comics. Um, it's just on and on. Okay. And some of that stuff just seems out of the norm, okay? Because he seemed to be a run collector. So 
one of those books, which stuck out because there was not a lot of horror stuff in this, if of most any, there just wasn't. There was mostly superhero books. That's a good point. There was no like tells from the crypt or anything like that. I don't know if it, he just stopped collecting, but there wasn't anything really from the fifties. You know, there was no EC stuff at all. So it was just weird to see this book, Punch Comics, which is a great book to see because you're just flipping. You're like, whoa, it punches you. literally punches you in the face. True. All right. So Punch Comics 12, classic cover. All right. Gus Ricca is the artist. He did a lot of uh, Chessler work. So Punch, Dynamic. He's got a lot of classics. Um, probably not discussed enough, uh, this artist, but an absolutely unbelievable book. And I don't know. I'm, I mean, it's got great eye appeal, good colors. Uh, it does have a piece of tape along the spine, um, but you know, I'd say it's probably around a three five three zero. Give it a press. If I can get that tape off three five, you know, I don't know if it could hit a four. What's the value of of this book around that grade right now? Because it's I, still performing very well. This is a very wanted Golden Age book. Oh yeah, that book is near ten thousand dollars a point. So I'd say it's about a thirty thousand dollar book right now, give or take. Yeah, it definitely felt strange like just flipping through comics and this just like sitting right in the middle. So now let's chat about how you seal a deal because I wanted to organize this so that you guys can hear the part about how it almost went south so that we can then come back to why that was actually manageable and fixed. And it, I think it began with how we approached the collection and how we dealt with it right in the beginning. So the Golden Age comics were actually what we were focused on because, yeah, yes, there's a lot of silver, bronze, and a crap ton of modern. Graphic novels, you know? There was posters, and there was a couple statues. You know, they had omnibus. Like, he was buying everything. Well, the gold was where the bulk of the money was going to be when you really look at the whole thing in its entirety. So we figured if we can go over there, see the collection, and spend as much time as we can, build the relationship, and do them right, Maybe this will put us in a good position to possibly get the collection. And some of the things that you thought of that I appreciated, because I've never been part of a deal to this capacity. Um, what we did is we actually pulled a few different runs. We took some of the biggest runs, for example, Batman, in which there was a number two up. And then we also picked some of the cheaper runs, Boy Commandos, for example. We had a few of them there. And then we did a, a double grade side by side of each book and wrote them all down so that we can then go have some beers for an hour and a half and price them all. So we couldn't physically go through every single book, but what we could do is give them a range and say, hey, we are all aware of what's going to be the most expensive ones, the ones that you actually know, such as these books, right? And then here's some of the cheaper ones. And then we can give them a approximation on the grade because they had no idea what grading was. That's partially why they wanted people there to figure this out for them. Well, you had a great idea. You brought graded books to show them. And we had graded examples on the table while we were doing the job that they also had to watch for hours and know if they were going to do this, this is what the process looks like. And it's painstaking. Yeah, trust is a big thing. When you're coming into something, especially when it's part of a family or an estate, um, and, and they know they have value there, it's important that you come in there giving them some type of education too. Um, listen, my job isn't to over-educate. Like, that's on you. If you're going to try to sell something, you try to put in that education. I've put in a lifetime of education, basically. <laughs> you know, I put Dude, 20... people have paid you to go and do assessments. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I've gathered all this knowledge. 
you can go do some of your own, all right? But for grading, that's a tough one, right? So here I love to I like to bring visual examples because a lot of people will overgrade their own books, right? So you kind of come in here with a little bit of uh, an equal playing field. This is what a 2.5 looks like. This is what a 4.5. This is what a 6.5, 8.5, okay? And so we laid those out for them. And, of course, they were all Hulk 181s. <laughs> the same book, right? It so has to be. So they can all the compare. Same book. Right. So, you know, if you want your own kind of, like, kit, traveling kit, if you feel like, there's some there's some markers there you can put of the same book and be like, hey, here's four examples. This gives us all a great idea. So we did that. To your point, what most people do when they start pricing books, they go, oh, I have a, a book that's a key. They figure out it's a key. And then they see what a 9-2 is because they pull it up on eBay. And then all of a sudden, there's this number that's not correct. It's like you put a different book in front of the person. But to them, they see that and go, well, if you extrapolate that with these, oh, my gosh, I'm overwhelmed and I'm more excited than I should be. It's true. Yeah, people can run with it in the wrong direction. And that also kind of helps ground them a little bit as well. Right. So when we were doing this whole process, because it is a, literally an all-day process with that many books, we, we had to get them feeling comfortable. So we graded literally Batman 2 through 100. Yep. All right. And as I'm doing that, it's also giving me an understanding of the quality of books there. So there were restored books there. Mm-hmm. That's like the first big risk that we realized that we were in with this is like, yeah, we have a Batman 2, but if it's restored – and then you're looking at all these other books, like we have to literally flip through every single page because that's what it was like. Right. And restoration has got a has got a variable to it, right? So it's like I'm looking at his restore. I was like, I don't have time here to check if it's trimmed. I don't have time here to see if staples replaced. I see color touch, restored, move on. Okay. And you just write that all down and you realize, okay, so there's a sensation run. There's a Wonder Woman run, there's a detective run. Most this guy didn't buy these off the rack. He amassed this collection. So you just know that there's going to be highs and real lows, all right? And those real lows can really hurt if there's a bunch of them, especially on certain books. But like you said, I, we took a notebook, we wrote it all down, had lunch, priced it all out. Uh, we came out with an average price just for that run. And then, you know, you know, titles have steep fall-offs, right? I mean, Batman is going to be one of the better runs there. And then you have, like you said, others like Boy Commandos to offset that. So we got our number together, and that kind of gave us a starting point to talk. And they had no idea where they were going to be. There was no number they shared. They wouldn't share a number. Um, It was to the point where it's like we knew we shouldn't even be asking because they were very much in a position of we wanted to see what you guys are going to do. They were completely new at this. From the instance that I saw those Golden Age books, I was like, okay, I have to get this collection. It's too, too special to not want to get. And then going through that whole pricing process, um, but also realizing that they didn't have a number in their head and knowing that no matter what I said, it wouldn't matter. Right. It's such a weird place to be in. Okay. That's part of being first too. Okay. But again, I still strongly recommend being the first to a collection um, instead of the last because sometimes first is last. All right. And you want to be there. That, like you said, that relationship is important when you're trying to get something valuable from somebody. So that right there is the biggest takeaway from the experience that I had is that you got to handle every part of the process right, but especially upon introduction. And then also you kind of got to keep your cool, but also realize there are factors at play that may make you regret being as chill and as cool about it. Because there was a position, a position that you were clearly in that 
you could have been being taken advantage of. That's how it actually happens. So now we're back to the bidding war. This is happening. They said no to the first offer because they got a second offer, and then they got a third offer. And then we realized, okay, you're still in the running, and it was looking good. I want to take you back to Rose City, man. Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. That, that was a low. <laughs> so, so this is like the heart of coming out of the convention scene. I'm doing a bunch of stuff on whatnot, and I'm trying to like grow my account on there. Link in the description. Give me a follow. You get a $10 credit after your first $10 purchase or more, and you support the show. But you can get like more funny books. It's really cool. So I was planning to do a bunch of conventions that year. Just got done doing a convention, and then we were heading to Portland because it's a it's what conventions local. You know, we can drive there. It's a couple hours, three hours. So I have a couple exclusives. Heron Heavens is with me. We also have uh, Fire Guy Ryan was there. My dad came down. You drove down, and we brought books. And we're just doing some chill streams. It wasn't a big convention, so this wasn't like a. Uh, a tr- it's not going to be like San Diego, for example. But you know, we invested a little bit to be there. I wanted to make a splash on the app, so we took the time. Ben Templesmith was down there. That's actually where I had probably my first like real meeting about Crashdown. So it was a very memorable convention. So keep this in mind. We all drove down there, multiple hours. We paid for a hotel. We're at the convention. We're there for like three days. But here's the thing. You tell me before you even get in the car. And by the way, this guy was miserable regardless of if you were playing it chill, that didn't solve the anxiety you were experiencing. You were waiting for that call to just kick you back out of the running. You were waiting to find out that it's been sold, right? You were in this limbo, and you were very bothered, my friend. I don't think I've ever seen you be— actually, I have, and that's a conversation for another day. But (laughs) there was a—as far as comics are concerned, because you've been through some stuff in the last year, um, but as far as the comics are concerned— it was clearly like something was off with you. You were you were perturbed. You were irritated. You were short. And you're not typically like that, man. You're typically a ball of energy. You're typically keeping up with me, right? So you told me, yeah, man, I'm going to go. I don't know if I'm going to go. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Rose, uh, to, to Rose City. But you told me, here's the thing, Tom. If we get a call this weekend at any point that this collection is now fair game and we can go get it and that the deal is, cl- is cleared because... This is like the heart of it. Like you're waiting for that call, which you wouldn't even get that weekend, but we didn't know at the time. You said, I need everybody here to get in their car and freaking leave. We need to drive back, not just to where we're going three hours away, but an additional hour and a half to where the collection is. Figure out how we can get the U-Hauls and start the process immediately. So I have the convention weight on my shoulders. We have people here helping. We're paying to be here. We got exclusives invested. And I'm over here going, yep, 100%, Jeff. If, if you tell me, Tom, we need to go, and I'm in the middle of a conversation with a creator, I'm, I'm on a whatnot stream, I told you, I'll turn it off, and we'll get in the car, and we'll go and secure it. Because I knew how important it was. Yeah, this was a major milestone to, for us to get, you know, to um, capture. If it, it was finally... Uh, ours okay so and of course it wasn't that weekend but i didn't know and it's true i didn't even want to, i didn't want to stream like I was. that's like, right you were canceling streams you're like i have a live uh, show i was gonna do but i just can't bear myself it's like it's, it's like there it was a death in the family or something dude yeah, I, jason todd what's going on <laughs> dude? i sat there in one stream i was like this is just this is too painful like i'm just gonna hang out dark room leave dude, me alone that's right <laughs> we were like what's jeff doing 
He's just out in the lobby drinking a martini. <laughs> Dude, you were so upset. And you, how many times did you complain that weekend to people about what was going on? I don't know how much I talked about it or not. You, you were know so better. sour, dude. Was, yeah, it was I, so funny. I was in a headspace, okay? And, like, it continued for a while. Like I said, the process was very long for me. <laughs> but, yes, you're right. That that Portland con, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you on the receiving end of seeing me is definitely a little darker, okay? Because in my, in my head, I was just like, I just want this call. And every time a call came, I was just hoping it would be more information or, or we can just come and grab it because I want to get it immediately, because, again, you just never know what's going to happen. It's already almost been taken from you, yeah. you know, a few times for whatever reasons. And and the price was going up. Like, there's so much at play here. But um, I do want to emphasize there were so many different versions of Jeff that I was experiencing throughout this process. Because when we were on the airplane leaving, was it C2E2, when you even found out that this was a thing that may happen, that you may... Like, like you San found Diego. out of, it was San Diego. Yes. When you found out at San Diego that there was a realistic opportunity that these books exist and that you were going to be able to see them. You were so hyped, man. You were like giddy. You were showing me a picture because there's only a couple books in the picture. And you were telling me about this dentist and how this all happened. And I'm like, oh, wow, this guy just uh, he probably found the biggest collection. Fine. Like, this is what Jeff looks like when he's super, super excited. It was like you were getting married or something. <laughs> I was excited to see a new collection because there were some cool books, right? But, man, after seeing the collection, that's when it just really hit me, you know, because I, they didn't really have a full grasp. They just said they had some Golden Age books, and they just randomly sent some good ones, okay? And I was like, wow, these are just random pictures, and you guys don't know what you have? And I was like, okay, that's that's exciting. Okay, let's let's go. And, I, and it took another couple of weeks to coordinate with them. Can you do me a favor? What's that? I want to see another comic book from this damn collection. What do you got? <laughs> okay, Pull it out. I, don't know. I haven't seen a lot of these books since we acquired them. So I got some cool ones too, Comic Fam. Don't worry. But honestly, like I told you at the very beginning, because I didn't really know how we we're going to work this deal out. I just knew hey, I'm just going to shove money your way and I'm going to be part of it. But yo, these books, like I, I do deal in gold sometimes, but these books are just not things that I feel comfortable dealing with. Like, even if I were to have acquired this collection, let's say just the gold by myself because, hey, I, I wished on a star and it happened and it just fell on my lap. Something happened. I have these books. You'd be the first person I call and say, hey, I need you to take these from me. I just I shouldn't be the ones handling these because there's so many things to consider with gold and there's so much money potential but also so much loss potential that I was out of my, my – uh, I was out of my experience, you know. It was it was out of range of what I knew my expertise was. Um, so it was really easy to be like, yeah, you're going to end up with the Punch 12. That's totally fine to anybody who's wondering. But what are you bringing to the table today? I got these two guys, and they go hand in hand. Ah, of course, and you got, got the detective. Well, I might say one of the most exciting things for me is, like, bringing you to this and going through Golden Age books like that. You told me a few times you're like, you, um, I do appreciate you, those moments because it's actually some of the moments I remember more than others. But you made sure to point out, you're like, you do see that you're going through a Batman 2 right now, right? Like, like recognize what's happening right now. Like, this doesn't happen to people. People don't get to just stumble upon Golden Age Americana like this. And it, it was really special, especially finding this book that I'm holding here. First appearance of the damn Scarecrow. No. Detective Comics 73. Nope, not the first. Oh, the first is why I gave you that other one. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's the first, first cover. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, so comic fam, I just made a horrible mistake. This is why I can't deal in gold. So this is Detective Comics 73, first cover appearance of the Scarecrow. You would think it's the first one because he's prominent on there, but you know what? It says it on the cover. Return of the Scarecrow in a brand new story. This is by popular demand. Clearly people wanted the Scarecrow because they read his first appearance in World's Finest, issue number three. We have the classic uh, Batman, Robin, Superman playing baseball cover. And this is a thick book, and talk about how tough these are. So the world's finest started off with world's best with issue one and then became world's finest. Issue two, that name change. Yeah, name change, exactly. And so these are square bound up to— So it's 96 know. pages on this one. Yeah, so let's just say it's square bound to around issue 15, or give or, give or take. Golden Age books are thick, but when they're square bound, they feel like a graphic novel, you know, like a, like a Death of Captain Marvel style graphic novel you know what i'm saying yeah generally the standard golden age books like 58 to 64 pages just depending on the time frame and what title that was 96 and it's a glued wrap okay so the problem with that is that it separates a lot of the times from the book so you have a nice presenting square bound like that but then you'll have it like it it's like a slip the, cover yeah slip cover on it right but that one is, is attached it's a nice copy First appearance of Scarecrow. Unfortunately, he wasn't on the cover. DC was pretty good at not putting first appearances on their covers, unfortunately. Um, if the number 73's cover was on World's Finest Comics, number three, oh my God, that book would be probably three times its value. And it's an expensive book. They both are, actually. Um, Bill Finger did the one over there on the uh, Detective Comics 73. It's an absolutely outstanding cover. You have Scarecrow. And he's on top of a treasure, a mound of gold and jewels and coins. And Robin is you know, trying to escape because he's just like being buried in it. You got Batman lunging at him. It's fantastic. It's vibrant. The colors, I can't even describe. Like, this is the kind of thing that when you hold it, even if it is like, it's a beautiful book. You know, is this is this is pretty high grade considering it still shines. Like, I can imagine this on a newsstand. Like, it, it retained its colors and somehow was protected from sunlight since it debuted. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a nice copy. Um, I'm excited to add this. What are your, like, projections on uh, uh, approximate value? You don't have to grade. It's, it's tough to grade these things in the moment, comic fam. Yeah, I mean, look, just looking at it, I think this is an easy, easy 6-5. Easy. This could look... Depending on what's happening here on the left, this could be a this could be an eight o copy plus. I mean, it's a stunner. I'm just not sure what's going on right here. So that's all I'll say. It's an easy six five, and then the world's finest because it's a square bound. It does get a little bit a little bit of a leeway uh, on the grading. It needs a press, but this could also be a this could be a six o six five as Ooh. well. So how much you got in your hands right there? Between them both, just give me a guess. Yeah, if I had a guess, I would say this is probably let's just say forty thousand. Maybe on the, you know, give or take, give or take five. That's a lot of cheddar. You got to find the buyer. You know, there could be restoration, et cetera. Like, you know, obviously you're screening these books, doing your best to prevent dealing with those in the ways that you would uh, direct market copy or uh, uh, standard copy rather. And these are some of the highlights, right? Because you got to show in the highlights. There's definitely a lot of low lights on this collection, but um, there's just a couple ones that you just love to see in any fashion. How much did this cost we had a table with some short boxes filled with a lot of different gold captain america sensation you know we mentioned a few of them and about how many golden age comics were there there were hundreds 
but it wasn't thousands. It was hundreds of Golden Age books. Then we had different eras that were pretty much separated by room and closets and bathroom space. Like they, the entire house was overtaken by both comics and records because he also collected records and stamps as well. We didn't actually and get clothing any, and shoes and a lot of things that he should have just thrown out a long time ago. You know things. You know. The, same story of, of, of many of these types of collections um, and collectors. So there was like a Silver Age room and there were a lot of Silver Age blue chip keys, but not all Silver Age blue chip keys. You know, we didn't get a FF1 or anything like that or Amazing Fantasy 15. We looked, um, but there was a Daredevil one. You know, there was a, a ASM one, for example. And there was a lot of like near complete runs, especially after some of the big keys. And you go into like the closets and there would be like Bronze Age and that's where his spec really started. I think that's actually when he was starting able to do the ordering himself rather than just kind of hunting for it because as you mentioned, some of these books were low grade but then some were high grade. It's like he wasn't getting these monthly, especially the gold. Silver, I think it was the same thing up until a certain point because you know, you get to like a more Bronze Age stuff and then you can see the consistency but Bronze Age was when he started specking because the closet was filled with 30 copies of Shazam 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, you know, and 30 copies of Atlas comic books. You know, we saw pretty much every major Atlas number one and to the extent of like 15 to 30 copies a piece. Yeah, when we say Atlas, we don't mean like the 50s Atlas. No, not the Atlas you want, comic fam. No, no, this no, no, is, no. This is the Atlas you don't want, like Brute or <laughs> yeah. like... Yeah, we're in the Bronze Age, yeah. We're talking like Conan 232, you know? Yes, you're right, because there was a closet, and uh, it was just stuffed in bags of 30, 40 copies. So he did start there, and then he stopped. And I, I don't know, it's just such an interesting uh, history of books and that you, you want to understand what the thought process was there. But unfortunately, we couldn't. He was very meticulous about keeping notes. I mean, he had ledgers and ledgers very neatly written. Oh, and they were everywhere. We actually found ledgers in stacks in the garage and stacks in random rooms. And I suspect that the owners didn't really know what they were dealing with because there'd be posters in between them and cards in between. But what it was was a like handwritten ledger. And do you remember some of these ledgers were on notebook paper? Right. But some of these ledgers were on the backs of things like pizza boxes. Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Random DiGiorno boxes that right. had, like, just for the sake of the example, Conan 1, 2, 3, 4, with, like, check boxes and, like, oh, I don't have this one. Like, it, like some serious comic collecting stuff. Like, we've all made these lists, you know, before Key Collector and et cetera, and having the notes function on your, on your phone. Um, but he was doing accounting on everything, at least until it got probably out of control because there were some boxes that— he clearly didn't even open at a certain point because the Bronze Age is when the specs started because he was acquiring multiple copies clearly on order. But then as you get to the modern, well, there's so many comics that were coming out that he was just going, hey, I'll take 25 copies of Gambit number three and I'll take 25 copies of X-Men number three. You know, and whatever the stuff was in those months, yeah, we'd have a box of what could be 100 comic books, but there were only five comic books in there. They're just multiple copies of it all that you would have a trouble, a hard time selling at a quarter apiece. Yeah, there, there was a lot of, I would say of 350,000 comics, I'd only want to deal with 50? 50 maybe. <laughs> My guess was you were going to say Three, 50. 300,000 of that? God, it's <laughs> like a quarter book, you know, because then you got to bag and board it too, and you got to find a way to get rid of it. And who wants 25 copies of like 
like you said, a Gambit 3 or a Cable 64. I mean, I'm just like, oh, my God. So it's an interesting, right? You have highs and lows, and that's where you have to navigate. Plus, at the time, we're looking at a market that's been declining. Oh, that's a really good point. We are literally at the start of books starting to go for cheap, and we're going, dang, that book is going for 500 less multiple times in the last two weeks? Like, should we be buying these books? Like, what's going on? Oh, snap. Multiple books are kind of adjusting right now. And this is literally as you're waiting to, you're putting in bids and we're watching this go up, up and up. And we're watching the market go down, down and down. Are we making a huge mistake here? And we were having these conversations so much to the point that when we acquired the books and by the time that they were actually housed and, 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 you know, we, we moved it, we got it, we paid the bills, all that stuff. You and I stood back and went all the urgency that we felt. It was just non-existent anymore. The market has changed. Now we should take our time with it. And we're in July this year, and we have only gone through how much of the collection? It's almost a year since I got notified of this collection. San Diego is next week, yeah. right? So it would be a year since San Diego. So comic dealers that do this professionally, dealing with this inventory, you mentioned, well, if they were to do it themselves, maybe two years worth of a grind, and that's with like a company's help. Yeah, we're in year one after acquiring it and being out of the money. I've, o- I've only gone through 40% of this collection. Yeah, 40, and we've done multiple days together going through. Because, like, yo, we'll go through a box, and, yeah, there'll be some easy boxes to get through, multiple copies. But there'll be some boxes where it's, like, independent, and there's 200 different independent comic books, none except for one worth money. Yeah, you'll be, I, found a, I found a Crow 4 in a pile of whatever, okay? Like, it's just... Whatever came out that has no value or no even market to it because people just aren't even looking for it or wanting it. So much porn, comic fam. That's true. Like, and, the, and here's the thing. The funny part about the porn, which, like, yeah, buy whatever you want. You know, I, I love all comics, and I don't judge people for whatever they buy. You can get whatever you want at your LCS, you know. But the thing that was surprising was the, the, word, uh, the, the, the gamut of, of porn style because we had the anime stuff. We had the cartoon stuff. We had the extreme stuff, like the hardcore 90s stuff, like Glenn Danzig stuff. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. So we're going through going like, yeah, we want to try to like separate out what we got. And it's like you'd see a cover and be like, oh, that actually looks like it could be. Cool. Oh, it's like that. OK, well, that goes in this, this other box. And yo, we had boxes. So much for hiring my daughter's teen friends to help look this collection <laughs> they can't do they it they can't do it i was you like can't. i can't like ha- hire a child to look through these books because there's just some of it's so vulgar and so when we say the guy bought everything on the stand he bought everything now they weren't considered investments but he wanted to be in on it with a copy yep so and he was buying this all from mile high so well yeah we should talk high. about mile high too i don't think we even got into that I'm assuming he got these all from Mile High because I'm sure Mile High and we know mid late '80s too were at least the earlier ones. Yeah, could be likely it was the earlier ones, but we know as soon as it hit the late '80s, early '90s, we have these boxes in the garage. Now we're talking about this is separate from the silver, the bronze, etc. These boxes came from a store, and we know they came from a store because they're in diamond style boxes. They're all white. And they all have dates on them. And they all have shipping labels that came from Mile High. But here's the thing that was extra exciting because we would go through these. And I want to get to, like, the actual acquiring of the books. And we're going to get to the price here and what, you know, what we paid here in a second. I know they're, they're hanging tight here. But 
These boxes, when we were transporting them, we had to go through them and we'll get to why. You know, we weren't just get them out type of mentality. Like we had to get them out, but we also had to see as much as we could because we're probably not. We, it's, it's been over a year. It's going on a year now that this start this whole process started. We've had it for over six months and there's boxes at the bottom of this of this uh, hill of comic books, for lack of a better analogy. So in these white boxes, in some of them, I would find notes from Chuck Rosansky, the owner of Mile High Comics. And it would say things in there like, I'm forgetting, what's the, uh, the owner, the former owner's name? Do you remember? Uh, it's Larry. So Larry, what we would find in some of these boxes are personal letters from Chuck which I hope to actually like bring to him one day. I think it would be cool to actually see him at a convention and say, hey, this is one of your biggest clients over the last couple of decades, and this is a letter from you. And I'll just let him know. Larry never read those letters because they were still in the boxes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't say that. But the note would be along the lines of, you know, dear Larry, sorry about the mistake. We missed putting in 25 copies of X-Force 4 in your box. Expect that in September, you know, keeping them up to date, doing some really good customer service because this is clearly one of his biggest clients possibly to date. This gentleman was buying a lot of comic books. What would you expect that bill monthly based off of the amount of boxes he was getting monthly? Let's just start with the, the what I thought was the highest purchase peak for him, which I think would be like 1993. Which is like the heart of the, the 90s market. Like, this is when things were booming, you know? Yeah, which I think he kept that pace for a good five years, at least. At least. Um, so he probably bought, had to be like, I can't imagine him buying less than four to 500 comics a month. A month. At least. That would be like upwards of $1,000 plus a month, easy. I think so. I really do. Plus shipping and always doing it every single month and some months adding a whole box because, hey, there's a new number one and he maybe went heavy. Because remember, some of those multiples, they weren't all 25. Sometimes there were 50. There were like Darkhawk 1 or it's like a first issue. He really went heavy on some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, God, I just can't even imagine. I mean, it could even be more than $1,000. I mean, I'm just thinking about the quantity that I'm seeing every month. 25, like how many different titles and issues were there back then? I know there were less than there are now, but a minimum of 25 of everything that was Marvel put out. It's a lot of books. And some were DC too. Yeah, and then you, that's just Marvel. Then there was DC too. And then indie and then the porn comics. So now we'll get to what they've been waiting for. This entire collection, which by the way, the cost to acquire it had costs. You know what I mean? Like we had to pay to get the books, of course. But then we had to pay to transport the books, to house the books, you know? And then there's our time, and we couldn't do this ourselves. We definitely have to talk about how the transporting went because that was a process and a half. It was a team effort. It was crazy, dude. It I, was. It's been a while since I worked that hard. Yeah, So, but let's talk about the price. So the price uh, of cost to get into this collection was $350,000. Woo! Yeah, so Over a quarter of a million, comic fam. That's how you deal in comic books, this stature. And before I even had this collection, I sold personal books to help finance this thing. So I was like, I am getting this. I'm emotionally invested in it. Um, but the real trippy thing is, you know, if you've watched this whole video and you've listened to this whole process, how I discussed that I was going to be their buyer, I offered more money than that. 
by quite a bit to just end this process and buy it. But they wanted to, like I said, stick to the process. So surprisingly, they held to their word. Yep. And they have clearly a good conscience because what they would end up doing is saying, you know what? He offered more and we're going to stick to what we agreed to, which was the results of the bidding war. You essentially were bidding on an auction with three people. The reason you think about that figure. So now I'm like, and I was happy to pay that, to be honest, because I was wowed by the golden age and the potential of the silver and bronze and all these cool books that were really nice. But it's a lot of pieces and it's a lot of work. This is an easy, if I want to maximize my capital or investment, it's an easy two years of work, like full-time two years. With help. Well, yeah, with help. Okay. and But there's more costs. If I was to bag and board every one of those books, it's another $100,000 right there between yep. bag and boarding pricing. Okay. Hiring an employee. If I wanted to grade, let's say, 30,000 books, which is potentially what I'm I might have to do already because I've already graded 800 of them. All right. We're looking at, let's just say, 30 bucks a book between shipping. Oh, dude, these Golden Age books are not $30 to grade. Oh, no, the Golden Age aren't. You're right. You're right. And let's not even talk about You're talking about modern books at that price. Yeah. And plus the way they sat all overlapping, everything's got a spine roll. So everything's press and uh, dry clean. So it's like now you're like, okay, well, it does because the markets drop so much. You're just like, okay, well, now it's not even worth it to sell it slabbed. But the ones that are worth the slab, let's say 30,000 of them at $30 a piece. I mean, is that $900,000? $900,000, dude. Okay, so like... Just figuring the math out right now, too. He's going, damn, yeah. dude, what did we do? <laughs> yeah, might be some more raw sales. But like you just kind of calculate the numbers. You're like, you're just realizing expense, 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 expense. It cost us, and let's get to it, $10,000 just to move the comics. We had multiple movers because we had some like like friends who have a moving company. We uh, brought some some of our employees from the shop and said, hey, guys, we're going to hook you guys up, pay you well, and we're, we're going to work pretty hard today. We're going to be moving a lot of boxes. And they came and, yo, like shout out to Agu, shout out to Cole. Some of you may know him in the, in the community, but they were sweating like they did a marathon. Yeah, huge, huge appreciation to the team because, I mean, it's not like you're moving them all into one vehicle. That's what most people think in regards to comics. Like, oh, yeah, there are all these boxes. They think of, like, when they're moving their house. But here's the thing. Most of your standard storage that you put in cardboard boxes you pick up from U-Haul, they're pretty light. Like, even if you're putting plates in there, you know, and even some of the heavier stuff. No, no, no. These are comics. These weigh a lot. Each box was like 70 plus pounds, right? Yeah, modern man, modern comics are so freaking heavy. Um, and in, the problem with the transportation is that I couldn't stick them all in one U-Haul because of the weight. Yeah, do you have a cap of what that U-Haul can even take on, which is why we had a mover um, with their big semi, which we also maxed the cap. So we're looking at a semi and seeing a lot of room, actually. Like, you can climb up above it. You can get to the back. But no, it's at max capacity when the weight is calculated. And we're there literally doing the math because you got to be careful, you know? Yeah, we weigh the comics. There was going to probably be waypoints, too. So we didn't want to overmax the vehicles or get a ticket or a fine or whatever. And so we calculated the weight. I think that we thought the weight was something like 70,000 pounds total, give or take. And um, so we had like six-plus U-Hauls. My dad drove out there. We rented a U-Haul for him. Heron Heavens drove out there, rented a U-Haul for her. 
I drove out there. I didn't want to drive the U-Haul, so I just I just rode with Baron because I didn't want to do with that because I, I don't trust myself behind a U-Haul. Um, you drove a U-Haul. We had your friend drive a U-Haul. We even had a friend come up, and we said, yo, all these graphic novels, we don't even want to see them ever again. So we just said, grab them, and you take them. So we had another friend grabbing part of the product that we secured that day and took care of it, and we did a, a separate deal there and, and just didn't even – um, handle any of the graphic novels. So we had like upwards of seven or eight different big ass cars and trucks and U-Hauls going. And we're about an hour and a half away from this place. So it's to and from, you're talking three hours and you're driving kind of slow in a U-Haul with that much stuff in there. So it took even longer. So you have the cost of all of that, plus all the people, plus you want to take care of these people. They're working their ass off. The thing is though, Jeff and I's job at that point throughout this move the most important thing wasn't us moving boxes. That was probably the worst use of our time. We needed to go in there and hunt because we may not see these books for a year. They may actually end up sitting underneath countless pounds of books, and we don't want them sitting there. We found a stack of Dr. Afra on the top of one of these boxes that was underneath six boxes for who knows how long, and they were preserved, but we're moving these around, we don't want those sitting there. What if Dr. Afra shows up and we're not going to get to that box for two years? So we're actively trying to find stuff all throughout this process. And we found Batman Adventures 12, something like 12 or 15 copies. 25 copies. 25 copies of, oh, that's right, because I, I did get a few of those, didn't I? So we got 25 copies. So that's what we're looking for. As soon as we think, ah, oh, maybe we just like let it all go. No, 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 no. Batman Adventures 12 is there. Uh, as well as a lot of other like really cool keys. So we're pulling stuff out and saying, all right, this is the priority boxes. These go in the car that we have to be really careful with. But hey, let's like, get the modern stuff out. Get the modern stuff out. And we're letting stuff go that we we couldn't check. But the entire time we were there, we were hunting. Yeah, we did the best we could. I mean, I think we looked at maybe 1% of the collection that we could. Just That's just laying around as people are coming. They're coming with their dollies and hand trucks because you just take a whole row of five or six boxes and you just roll it onto the truck right so that's why we haven't really seen most of this collection it's just been buried in a storage so it's just uh and dude going through those books in the winter was not fun no my hands would hurt really quick yeah it's cold it's just it's tough it's tough but it's exciting it's fun we love it now do we need to discuss what we think the value of the collection is? I think we do because, all right, 350K plus 10 grand for the transportation plus all of our time plus all the extra random costs that have been going into this. I mean, at this point, the, the, the collection cost is approaching like the $400,000 marker and the market's adjusted. So let's give a pretty big range because who knows? What if there is something big in there that we haven't gotten to? We're hoping, you know, but we're trying to give the community a taste of like, our uncertainty right now, while we have it, is pretty similar to the uncertainty we had when we acquired it to begin with. Exactly. And, you know, like you're saying, 400, I mean, I think it's going to be a minimum of me and this, of us into this collection. I can't imagine less than $600,000. 600 is, I was going to say you know, 600 Easy. I mean, yeah. it just depends on what how many grading fees are going to go into it. And it's like you can recoup a lot of your money quickly selling the best stuff. Right, you're like, oh, I can recoup a bunch of money. But that's then a you're catch like, twenty-two. Then you're stuck with a lot of other stuff. So now you're like, trying to maximize other books so that you don't have to, especially with silver bronze. Silver and bronze has dropped a lot, so it's like, ooh, that kind of hurts. But I, I still think with this collection, if I, 
if really pushed, I mean, maybe there's a chance for one and a quarter, one and a half. I mean, some books were restored. Like Sensation One was restored. Wonder Woman was missing a centerfold. So you saw some really cool books, but they did have issues. Yeah, I think at the beginning when we first saw the collection, we were thinking this could be up to like maybe one and a half, two mil. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling closer to the one to 1.25. That's what my gut says. But you know what? They're going to have to stay tuned for another show because we're going to keep bringing it back. This ain't stopping anytime soon. We're still actively going through these books, and I want you to show me another book from that box. Okay. Hit the like. Slap the subscribe button. Join us at San Diego Comic-Con this next week. All the homies are going to be there, and we're going to take a look at some other books we got from this collection. And um, I'll tell you, I didn't get any gold except for a stack, and this gentleman graciously handed over Plastic Man, like one through 30 to me. So actually I'm sitting with a run that I've actively wanted to collect my whole life that I never thought I'd be able to commit to because of how expensive those books are. So so very. I'll have to bring them back to the show at some point. Yeah, dude, you were like, uh, I love Plastic Man. You always say that, and I was like, dude, you're getting this entire Plastic Man run. So I'm holding two different comic books here, Comic Fam. Captain America 13, all out for America issue. We got Captain America, we got Bucky, classic war cover. Um, And then we also have World's Finest number nine. Holy smokes. I've never seen this in person. Um, This is at the heart of World War II. This was uh, essentially trying to communicate who our enemy was to the mainstream through comic books. It's interesting how much DC, um, or excuse me, Timely, rather, chose this route versus DC at the time. Definitely. Timely was all in on portraying um, the war as much as possible in their covers, and that helped them push their sales with Captain America, uh, Submariner, Human Torch. The one thing that DC did was the opposite. So when you have a World War II cover with Hitler, Hirohito, Mussolini like we have here, and they're throwing you know, America's pastime baseballs at their faces, um, it just shows how it wasn't as serious um, for them to portray the enemy in such a, a vile way. Like, Timely did that. They gave fangs to the Japanese characters. I mean, they did all kinds of things to make the enemies look awful. It was always a little bit more playful with DC, maybe a little more real. Um, so it's just funny to see the comparison between the two at that time. But two awesome books, two great covers, two classics, two collectible, uh, really coveted issues here. What do you think those are worth? Man, uh, Captain America 13, it's a nice book. Um, I don't know if there's any restoration on this one. I'll have to double check on it. But I would say if this book is as clean as it is, it's probably a 7-0, maybe a 6-5, 7-0. The World's Finest, um, I'd say it's probably a 5-0. Maybe together they're $18,000, give or take. What's your favorite comic book that we just showed you today, comic fam? How did we do, you know? You saw some B-roll today, and we're going to bring back the guru and fire guy Ryan, who was on vacation this last week. He had to get some rest, but he's going to come back with a bang, and he's coming with me to San Diego. We want to see you at San Diego. Make sure to join us virtually on the best new place to buy and sell collectibles, whatnot, and make sure you hit ComicTom101.com. You got one more day to join the mystery mail call for this month. It's the best way you can support the show. Uh, We send comics out in a box with love and care and gratitude every single month. And one per box this month is a Peach Momoko ASM 26. This is a black cat cover, and it's a key book. 
Everyone gets a key book this month in their box. It's The Death of Kamala Khan. We also have a Bjorn Berens Silk Number no. 1 trade dress going out one per box. Each box gets four to five comics. I tend to do surprise variants, special stuff, chase books, and it's 35 bucks plus shipping. That's Bags and Boards number 76. We did it, Jeff. As always. Geek responsibly. Enough said.